Welcome to the One Away Show, presented by BW Missions. I am Brian Wish, and I am your host, and thanks so much for being here. On this show, I sit down with compelling entrepreneurs, authors, and rising leaders to talk through their most transformative relationships, experiences, and epiphanies. Curated with entrepreneurial leaders in mind, we'll dig into these finite moments in people's lives and understand how they helped set their path forward. People whom we meet make quick decisions about us. Should they hire us, trust us, follow us, work with us, buy from us? Sylvie DiGusto is a professional keynote speaker and trainer who uses her corporate experience and multicultural background to help audiences around the world understand how people make up their minds very quickly about them and either open the door or slam it shut. With cutting-edge approach, a competitive mindset, and a passion for visualization, Sylvie takes audiences on an entertaining and engaging journey that reveals how others perceive them and thus perceive the value of their abilities, their services, or their company. At the core, Sylvie wants her clients to understand how making an impactful first and lasting impression can help attract and keep customers. Sylvie is the author of The Image of Leadership and the creator of How You Impress, an interactive mobile learning platform for professionals and organizations who place great importance on the impression they make. With her unique and thought-provoking keynotes, breakouts, and online training programs, Sylvie opens participants' minds and closes the gaps between personal impact and customer attraction for male and female leaders in sales and customer-facing roles, all the way from entry-level employees to C-suite executives. As a professional keynote speaker, Sylvie takes great pride in being easy to work with, delivering content-rich presentations, and surprising participants with the unexpected. Hi, Sylvie. Welcome to the One Away Show. Hi, Brian. I'm, I'm so thrilled and excited to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, as I shared with you when we hopped on, I said my dad told me growing up, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. And you are the uh, top of the space and understanding what that means. So we'll, we'll dive into that. But uh, March dad, March dad. That's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, let's, let's, let's dive in. So uh, what's the one-away moment that you want to share with us today? My one-away moment happened on November 20th, 2008 at 8.24 a.m. in the morning. Now, you might be surprised why I'm so specific and remember that, but every good mom does that because that was exactly the moment I gave um, birth to my daughter in a hospital in Germany. Yeah. Now uh, you might think, well, that is not very unique. It is actually not the one away moment that I'm referring to. But my uh, husband um, was late and he walked into the um, room where I just delivered our baby at 8.25. And the first thing coming out of his mouth was saying to me, I have a job offer in America. Now, you need to know that uh, since I'm five years old, I'm dreaming of living in the United States. I tried everything to make that happen. You know, I applied for visa, green card, jobs, colleges. I always say I probably dated every single American that ever crossed to Europe to make this happen. And it never worked out until November 20th. Uh, at 8.24 a.m. in the morning, 2008. And so he said, I have a job offer, uh, but the company knows we just had a baby, so they're going to fly me back and forth, and you just come in half a year or so. And I said, uh, no, I'm waiting for this moment my entire life since I'm a child. So nine days later, I was on a plane, with a newborn baby on my lap, leaving behind a corporate career of 20 years in Europe and moved to the United States. I, I love, I love the start, start of this and where this is, where this will go. I, I uh, appreciate you sharing one, such a, a special moment in your life and clearly a special moment on multiple fronts. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very personal, but it has to stay here on the internet. Nobody else can know. That's right. No one else can know. So your your daughter now is 13. Is, is that right? Exactly. Uh, oh, the the year the, the years it gets real uh, fun. I have a 12 year old sister and uh, man, she is a, I mean, a good one. So for you, you know, I want to um, 
ask, you know, you had a dream of, of always being in the States and for maybe global perspective or global context, mm-hmm. why was it such a important thing for you to make a life in the States coming from Germany? I have a theory. Of course, I don't know if that theory is true because I was five years old and it was actually my brother who told me uh, it was the first time he heard me say, when people ask me, what do you want to be when you are grown up? You know, the typical question you ask children. And so many children said, I want to be a teacher, a police officer, a nurse, a doctor, whatever. And when people ask me, what do you want to be when you are grown up? I happened to say an American. And I'm not sure what triggered that because I have never been in the United States before I moved here. We don't have any relatives here. I didn't even watch, I mean, back then there was no thing like um, internet or streaming. I have no idea where that urge comes from. Today, when I look back, what I love about the United States is that you can just dream your dream here. It's Mm. open, it's wide, it's... Uh, people are open-minded and wide in their thoughts and ideas and really everything is possible here. Mm. And I just loved that. Yeah. Well, I I think it's so important to always be evolving and expanding and all, in all the ways. Um, And it's neat that maybe the, the United States represented that for you. So like on a, another layer, I mean, you grew up in Germany. Is that, that's correct. Uh, it's, it's a little bit more complicated. There is you hear a Spanish grandmother, an Italian grandfather, a French father, and an Austrian mother. Okay, so European <laughs> mutt and uh, with some other Latin influence. Yes, it's a wild mix, uh, but there was always good food in our home. I can <laughs> tell you that. Yeah, I I can smell, feel all of it. Uh, yeah. I wish I could travel on a time thing just to yeah. experience that. So. <laughs> So for you, with the way your family grew up and, and how that was, was was an open mind embraced, was a push for innovation and push for multiple perspective embraced, or was that something that you maybe had to find outside the home? Well, so for me, that was never really home. Many people, I think, grow up and have are anchored somewhere, right? Have roots somewhere. I did never have those roots. I was home. Uh, in France and in Austria, and we had Italian influence, and then I moved to Germany and to the UK. There was never a place I felt really rooted Mm. until I came to the United States. It's actually the first time that I feel home, and I think uh, I feel home here because it represents in some terms Uh, My family, I lived in Manhattan 10 years at the very beginning. And, you know, in Manhattan, it it is the most diverse city to live in. You have people from all over the world. You hear probably a dozen languages per day. You can eat food from all over the world. It was that diversity in human beings, but also in ideas and thinking that felt always very attractive to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know, I mean, New York definitely has that, you know, it's uh, the diversity, you get off the train and there's 14 cultures, you know, when you're, it's, it's unbelievable. So. um, And for my children, because you mentioned your system, my daughter now is 13 years. I have a son too. And for both of them, it was the most amazing place to grow up. Wow. To grow into such a diverse world. I can tell you one example that I always carry in my heart. Uh, my daughter, until she was six and a half years, she did not know that there are different skin colors. She just didn't understand. It was just not programmed in her brain because. Everybody in New York has a different skin color right. from somewhere else. And then with six and a half years was the first time she asked me a question about it. And I thought, ah, damn it. Now it's over. Now she realized that there are some differences, right? Yeah. Luckily for her, it doesn't make a difference because uh, she grew up there. Right. Which is which is great, you know, she, without growing up with bias or growing up with making informing opinions and the fact that you could cultivate a... Uh, you know, your, your kids in an environment that was open and inclusive to 
uh, all demographics or uh, all types of backgrounds is yes. uh, I think special, right? Not everyone has that. So the United States felt like home. You never were anchored or really growing up. But when you you came to the states, I mean, maybe it felt like this. Uh, did it feel almost like this, like liberation? You know, you got here and it was like now I can really anchor my feet in into like and come into this person I'm supposed to be. I mean, what were what kind of happened once you got here? Well, uh, as I told you, nine days earlier, I just had a baby. So right. uh, <laughs> I realized uh, maybe uh, I have to take care of myself and my baby for a while. So the first uh, year I was a mom. And then, of course, at one point thought, so what am I going to do now with my career and my business? Back in Europe, I my last job in human resources was to build up a management academy for a huge international tourism and retail company. Mm. And while I did that, I realized that very often the, the academy was thought to be for the top 100 leaders in that organization. Wow. And very often we hired people from the outside to become one of those top 100s um, and have very responsible jobs in the organization. And during the interview process, they said all the right things, they did all the right things, they behaved exactly the way we wanted them to behave, they looked exactly the way we wanted them to look like. And years later, I had to fire them because of a total lack of performance. Wow. So I became obsessed with that idea. Why do we think specific things about people? Why do we perceive them in a specific way? Mm. Right? and make decisions just based on that, call it our gut feeling. While, for example, in that organization, there were so many young and ambitious people that could have done that job probably three times better, but we did not identify them as potential leaders. So I started to study perception, mm. human behavior and thinking and decision-making process. And uh, so after one year, I decided to go back into that area. And instead of going back into corporate, um, tried by myself and became a speaker and trainer and executive coach, helping people understand what others think about them and how it impacts their decision-making process. Mm, wow. I love the evolution of kind of, it took you the self-awareness to reflect on something that you had worked to build, maybe some of the things that didn't work or some of the, maybe not because of you perhaps, but because of the certain behaviors of people in the program. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you came to the States, it was, you know, I have all this intel and knowledge on, but how do I go deeper or, or evolve what this was into something, you know, I can really sink my teeth into. So uh, one, I just want to acknowledge so many people, they, they, they bounce, you know, one thing to the next and you were able to tra more or less transfer what was built. So um, you got the uh, itch and the bug to say, how do I really pursue and dive into perception and letting mm -hmm. people and how they're perceived? I mean, what was your maybe perception about like what perception meant then and how has it evolved since your learnings and all the things that you're up to today? Well, you know, um, I have a long corporate career in a very safe environment in, um, in Germany. Um, and I did not have that entrepreneurial in me at all because I, did, I didn't know anything else but corporate right and having a boss and having a secure job and going to work and loving it but out of a sudden I was out there by myself and had to find my clients and to tell you the truth I'm doing this now since 12 years the first two years oh my god I was so unsuccessful what a failure <laughs> but uh, I'm glad I did it because I learned the hard way that I positioned myself on the market in a way that when people reached out to me and said, do you want to speak about body language? I said, sure, I speak about body language. Do you want to speak about communication? Sure, I'm going to speak about communication. Do you want to be our keynote? Sure. Do you want to be our trainer? Sure. Do you want to be our moderator? Sure. As long as you give me a check, 
I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Mm. And so being an offering everything to everybody was probably one of my biggest mistakes mm. that, I made, that I'm glad that I made it so that I learned the hard way that if you, Brian, this morning uh, would have woken up and you have, your heart would be in pain, right? You have heart pain, you, you tr- have trouble with breathing, you get hot flashes, cold flashes. You realize there is something wrong in my body and probably it has something to do with your heart. Would you rather go to a general doctor or would you go to a heart expert? Mm. And most people opt for the heart expert. So I had to learn for me and my career, the way I'm perceived on the market, that I really have to niche down and become the expert in one topic, even if it's tiny, as tiny as first impressions, which are milliseconds, that whenever somebody is looking for an expert in that area, they're going to come and call me because they don't waste their time with a general doctor or in my case, uh, a general speaker. Mm. Well, I, uh, what's the quote? The riches are in the niches. And I, I uh, you know, on one end, right, it's a mistake of trying to be everything to everyone mm-hmm. with, a, you know, like you're right, the doctor to the heart amazing analogy for this at the same time right and I, and I think for many people who are able to maybe walk into a niche it's like they've given themselves that lived experience to follow the signals mm-hmm. of what's right and wrong for them and sometimes you kind of got to start wide to go narrow because if you start too narrow and you don't know why you're going narrow it can almost have the the opposite effect okay. so I, I think it's so easy for us to look at you know about share the share similar experience, but I, uh, in retrospect, right. It's, it's a great gift you gave yourself to say, you know what, this is where I can really thrive. Mm-hmm. So on that note of thriving and niching down, how did you know first impressions and presentation was your thing, you know, to really lock your teeth into versus um, maybe top touch your topics around that niche. Mm-hmm. I think that was just a natural process. Mm-hmm. Of- doing a lot of research, um, creating my own content and my own expertise around it and having the guts of walking on a stage and talking about it in a language, for example, that is not my first language. And um, um, I I give you another story. Um, I'll share another story with you and the audience. I, for example, thought that becoming a professional speaker, that this year, this accent that you hear, that wild mix, that mess, would be a huge problem. Mm. Um, And and there is somebody who gifted me with probably the greatest gift I have received throughout my career as a speaker. Uh, When I lived in New York, one day, somebody from a TV station called and said, do you want to come into the studio and talk with us about a politician back then who ran for a very important office? And I said, sure, you know, as a business owner, you take every media opportunity, especially at the beginning. I, I walked in, they invited me again and again and again and again. I became part of their show. But when I watched that show and heard um, me speaking with that accent in between all those well-spoken political experts, it was horrible, Brian. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't listen to myself. And so one evening at the holiday party, I um, was sitting with the producer of the show and I shared that with him and said, I cannot, I cannot understand why you invite me again and again and again. And he said to me, that accent is exactly the reason why we invite you. Mm. You You sound like an international expert. And you say things because of your lack of words, so simple that everybody in front of the TV understands you, while they often have no idea what the others talk about. And that gave me such a push such a push in my self-confidence that now I realize I'm not only niched in my topic, which is very small, 
and first impressions. But the width, the wideness I get through my accent, because usually I get booked for international companies because they are looking just for that, for somebody who is not the cookie cutter, perfect American presenter or German presenter or English or French presenter. It's a mix for everybody. Mm. Well, uh, it's great that they gave you kind of real-time feedback on why you you stand out, you know. Um, and in American culture, you came from more European roots and you could, yeah. And you, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll give that guy a confirmation. It's a nice accent. It's a, like, it, it is different. And it, it, it's, it's, it's just nice to hear something unique to go in those areas, right. Where you can be a little different. And for you, it might be your accent for others. It might be something else. And that's probably part of making a first impression. So you got that gift of knowing, Hey, maybe here's why I might stand out at first impression. Mm-hmm. For you, when you're working with individuals, organizations, you know, what, how are you going about helping other people think about how they make a first impression um, if they don't have the accent or they don't have the, you know, X? Oh, that's a very, very good question. So let me first share with you how first impressions actually work, right, in, in general, that your, uh, your audience has an idea of the concept that we judge each other every single day, like it or not. That has nothing to do with the fact that you are a good human being or a bad human being, that you are female or male or um, whoever you identify, that you are old or young. It is just brain performance. There is scientific proof that we make or make up an opinion about somebody within milliseconds or seconds. And we do that based on a framework I have developed, which I call the ABCDE. The A stands for your appearance, how people look. People just look at you, right? And they think they know something based on your body image, your clothing, your style, your hair, your makeup. Your B for behavior, how you behave, how you interact with them in those micro moments. Uh, The C stands for communication, what you say and how you say it. And then there is the D for your digital footprint, because nowadays, most often, we don't make a first impression anymore in person. I just made a first impression on your guests in a digital way. They are listening to a podcast. We are not in a room together, even the two of us not, right? And then there is the E, the environment, uh, in that you operate, the people you hang out, the places where you hang out, uh, have a huge impact, too, on how people see you. Mm. And that is how people imprint an impression about you. And obviously, it's just a first. And you have the ability to change that. The challenge is that a very powerful source works against you called unconscious bias. Because, Mm -hmm. for example, people just want to be right. They have an opinion about you. And one example, confirmation bias will make sure that they look for confirmation of their initial opinion by ignoring everything that goes against their opinion. Right? Okay. If people want you to be lazy, they're going to find proof that you are lazy, even if you are not a lazy person, but they're going to pick out those pieces of information to confirm their own opinion. And so this is what I... I try to help leaders in organizations to understand that it's just a process that happens to you and you can either ignore it, which is wrong, obviously. You can fight it, which is hard, or you can use it to your advantage. Mm. You define how people should perceive you and you give them hints of that perception during the first encounters and confirmation bias will make sure that they find proof in a good way, right? Because if you want to be perceived as somebody who is energetic and positive and optimistic, and you give them a hint in your ABCDs about those qualities, their brain is going to look for proof too. I I love what you said about uh, people... They, they, they like to form their own opinions and they look to, you know, confirm that and by looking for specific clues around it and by environments we show up in, words we use, you know, digital surroundings, you know, we're giving people data to 
go out and perform, uh, gain a perception of us. So what I, what I find so interesting, and I probably, I have to imagine could be extremely stimulating uh, in your work is understand, helping people understand maybe their perception today Mm-hmm. And then understanding how they want to elevate or change that perception. Mm-hmm. So for you, you know, how do you, and by the way, share whatever you're comfortable with, but how do you help people understand or get a maybe baseline mm-hmm. for their perception? And then what's the process of evolving perception into something that is, is different um, that they want to be? So uh, there is a triangle I want you to imagine in uh, your head, and there are three parties that are very important for the way you are perceived. And I'm going to walk you through one time as if you and I would be in a room and I would be your speaker, because then I would walk you through an exercise, and then I tell you where you can do the same online. The triangle is, first and foremost, You are the most important part of that perception game. You need to know and define how you would like people to perceive you. Mm. How would you like to be? Or what would you like to be known for? As long as you don't do that work, every adjustment uh, you make is just like a layer, right? It's just like fake and you want to be authentic. Uh, And that includes what are your uh, values and beliefs? What are your natural talents and gifts? What are your skills and expertises and experiences and accomplishments? And uh, what clients do you want to serve? So there are a lot of criteria that you have to dim down to two or three words that describe your picture-perfect perception. So for most of us, though, um, how we think about ourselves doesn't pay the rent, right? So we need somebody who buys something from us or buys into us and would like to have what we have to offer, but they have expectations too. And those expectations are different from industry to industry, right? If you work in finance in Manhattan, uh, people want want to perceive you very different from you are a healthcare provider somewhere in mm. the suburbs of I don't know where, right? So you need to take into consideration what is expected from your industry and your role, and how would they describe their picture perfect coach or their picture perfect podcast host or their picture perfect doctor or their picture perfect sales professional? In, in there, there will be a gap. And it is your responsibility to fill up that gap as far as you are willing to go. That doesn't mean that you should appear, behave, or communicate it differently just because your industry or job requires that. But you can, what I say, sometimes borrow elements or adjust a little bit to get it right out of the way that you're still authentic, but you serve your client. Mm. So it seems like there's two two parts to that. There is you're going to be judged by vocation in in a certain degree, right? By how you show up, what you're doing with that vocation. But then once you're in that vocation, Mm -hmm. there's a community built in community of people that will then judge you. So there's this like external perception to like who you are to the outside world. Mm-hmm. And then there's just that internal perception of who you are to the people while you're in that world in a yeah. job context. Is that just to clarify? That's what you're saying. Yes, yes. Because the reality is, when we talk about perception, we start with thinking about them first. But what if the real problem is not the way how they perceive you? The real challenge is how you perceive yourself. Right. First, and what perception you would like to have to thrive. So I always start there. And um, what I said before, two ways to do that is um, in my presentations, I let people go and experience physically the way of being labored. I Mm. sent them a 
around in a room with a sheet of labels and I said, walk around and if you see Brian, the first word that comes to your mind, write down on a label and put it on his back. So if you watch any videos of my presentations, you will always see people with dozens of labels on their back and probably wonder what are they doing? But that is kind of the physical experience of mm-hmm. being labeled and perceived by others. And then we compare those results on your back with what you have written down before, how you think you are perceived and how you would like to be perceived. If you want to go through a similar uh, experience, you can do that online on my website. Maybe Brian is so kind and can add a link somewhere. It's a free assessment. Of course. Absolutely. (laughs) It is a free assessment. Um, where you answer um, questions for about 10 to 15 minutes. And the result will show you a mixture of how you perceive yourself and how the world perceives Mm -hmm. you based on your um, choices throughout that audit. And that will show you a little bit of that gap that is up to you to fill it or not. Wow. Uh, I I, lo- I just appreciate how you've broken it down, and I like how you've differentiated it between like self and external and what that means. And I I to give that level of intentional thoughts important. Now, where I think your work is fascinating is especially in the sea of digital. Uh, not that it's not in a conference room or a board meeting or a you know big presentation. And I also see a lot of tie-ins with your work with a theme around like really belonging and owning yourself. And so let me back into my question. So in the digital world, I'm, for some reason, I'm constantly trying to look up the subliminal behind people's posts. Yeah. So they post with their, you know, shirt off six times a month, like, or are always posting about like their girlfriend next, like, or boyfriend I'm always look, trying to look at the deeper meaning of saying what's behind this. Like, and are, and I'm always constantly asking the question, are people comfortable with themselves? Because yes, perception is sure. What do people think? But another layer is like, am I comfortable enough with like the, my self perception where I don't also care about external perception. So in your work, And when working with individuals and maybe on that deeper level before it moves external, like how are you helping clients maybe just get get comfortable in their own skin? I mean, that's a hard enough thing to do, especially in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Well, the keyword is always balance, right? Balance in everything that we do, because uh, it goes from what you described, somebody putting out everything on the internet, what they experience every single day without any filters. Some go over creating a fake life online that has nothing to do with the reality. And that also goes up to the uh, CEO of a company wondering, can I even have a social media life in my role? Right? Can and Should I even post something to uh, people saying, I don't want to be seen on the internet at all? And the reality, the answer is always in balance. And not just balance in what you post, because, you know, nowadays we have kind of understood the social media one-on-one that what you put out there is out there forever. So be a little bit careful with uh, pictures in certain situations. Everybody gets that. What becomes more dangerous nowadays is what I call the unintentional digital footprint you leave. Mm. Because people are more judgmental about that. And within the difference is intentionless. Those are the posts that you put out there, the headers that you pick, the names that you pick, everything that you intentionally put somewhere into the digital space with a click. But there is more to it, the unintentional digital footprint. Hmm. The amount of posts per day. We all have that one friend in our network where we think, oh my God, do, do they don't have anything else to do other than posting all day long? Right? The amount of time that you spend online, the friends in your friend list, who you are connected to. So there are a lot of things that we send out in between the lines mm. that are not clear. And therefore, 
people just take them, take that information whoever or however they want to. You might think about your shirtless friend. Something is wrong with his self-esteem because he's constantly putting out those pictures. Somebody else will be thinking, oh my God, he's in such great shape. He must be mentally and physically totally healthy. Perception is never right or wrong. It doesn't mm. say anything about the fact that a person does something, but perception is always right to you because mm. you raise the opinion about it. That's so interesting, right? Because I don't think when people form, like it goes back to bias. I think when people, or maybe you, this is your area, but when people form a perception, they probably think everyone else should think that or have that same perception too. But what you're saying is perception is unique to you. And we can look at what, what you might see is completely different from what someone else might see, which is perhaps informed by that person's experiences, life experiences growing up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Look, I'll share an example of one of my former bosses. When I worked in Germany, the CEO of the company, uh, after a few years, uh, turned out, had some business next to the business, uh, legal got involved. He ended up in prison for some of the decisions he had made to his personal advantage under the umbrella of that company we worked for, both of us. He was the CEO, he was my boss. Till today, I would still describe him and perceive him as one of the greatest leaders I have ever had. Because my experience with him was very different than the public perception oh. of him uh, having that financial crime attached to him. Mm. I had nothing to do with those financial decisions, right? I was in HR and I just got support from him for my HR position and functionality. And he was, he was an amazing leader. I would work for him any day again because I had such a great experience mm. having him as my boss. So you see, those are the extremes. Right. Wow. And so we all have different opinions and we need to be aware of that, that how we perceive people is just true to ourselves and has nothing to do with the truth. What's so interesting is um, some people work so hard to create an external perception. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is no matter how hard you might work to create that external perception, because of people's certain experiences, it, like, it, it can be per perceived so like multiple ways. So like, what what would you say? I mean, what's your advice to the people who work so hard to create an external perception that maybe isn't one that's tr true to themselves? Mm. Well, you know, I, I would advise them to rather put their energy into creating a perception of themselves for themselves first mm. that makes them uh, happier and fulfilled and self-confident about themselves mm -hmm. before, yes, it's better advised, you control your perception on the outside a little bit. But if that takes over, if that is your main concern, you are doing something wrong. Yeah, for sure. Huh. There's a book I read this summer called Braving the Wilderness by Brene Brown. And it talks a lot about like belonging. And I think a lot of people think of belonging as let me join a group. And when I'm in that group of elevated status or this or that. But I think what the book really points out well is that sense of belonging is belonging to yourself. And when you are your full self, like you will bring along the right people for the ride who will perceive you perhaps in the way that you truest in your truest form. And the other people won't follow up and that, and that's completely okay. And so I just think the work, like the space you're in is so interesting because it's like almost helping people give people the license to be themselves. Uh, and I think in a very authentic and pure form, like, have you ever thought about it like that or would yeah, you disagree? No, I, I, I totally agree. And I totally disagree. <laughs> Great. I love this challenge it. So here's the part I agree 
you absolutely must be clear who you are and what you stand for yeah. and you need to stand your woman or your man okay however reality is you either are going to work into a, in a corporate environment where you serve clients internally or externally, or you are a business owner. Mm -hmm. So you cannot just focus on yourself alone. You need to play that game a little bit in uh, order to succeed. I love the answer. So, you know, people very often give the advice, you just do you. And I have given it too. You just do you. You just be yourself. Yeah, I would like to reframe that. You just do the best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Show up as the best self. And you might have relationships after a while where you can show people the rest of you. Huh. But for the very beginning and in a corporate environment or as a business owner, you can't just do you. There are yeah. only a few, a few cases who were successful with that model. And trust me, those were not overnight successes. They worked very hard on um, creating that brand and that perception that they can just do whatever they want to do. That right. is, it didn't come overnight. They earned right. that. Right. Until you are there, you need to play that game a little bit. Yeah. I, and it takes one, I think, a level of extreme self-awareness. Mm -hmm. um, pro, pro, maybe some proactiveness and forethought. Uh, and my mom always said growing up about like peeling layer, like, you know, don't show the core of the onion, the first impression, like, you know, like where they get to know someone. And so I think what you're saying is, yeah, like be yourself, but you know, the world we live in today, like you can't be, if you, your true color is bashing something you don't disagree with. You can't do that in our corporate setting because you're going to come across as not easy to work with or something. So, you know, I, I think your, all your work, it spans so like so many different parts of just, I think the human experience, I just think it's so interesting. So um, I would love to hear from you, maybe a story of someone that you've worked with or an organization, but maybe a person, if you can maybe speak to that, because I just see it's singular of someone who came to you and said, you know, I need help in this area. And you did a 180 with them. And because of that 180, it led to a new direction in their life. Like, does, does anything come to mind when I ask you that? Um, well, there are a lot of clients that I coached that hopefully uh, had that experience and can confirm that there are some politicians I have helped during their campaigns to get there and find a balance in between how can I still be true to myself and my own mm. beliefs, but attract people to, to buy into me. And um, I would say they don't just buy products or services. First and foremost, they buy into you. Mm. And I'm going to add to your question what we just spoke. Very often during that process, people ask me, well, why can't I just do this? Look. Mark Zuckerberg goes to work with flip-flops and Steve Jobs uh, had uh, a black turtleneck every single day. And Gary Vaynerchuk can swear and curse on the stage and why can't I? And then I always try to explain that for that transformation, because even for those people, it was a transformation. Mm. It took time and hard work. I have seen Mark Zuckerberg more often in a suit than you have seen him in flip-flops and a t-shirt. Because whenever Mark needed money, he thought a suit is a very good idea to work with his investors, right? Gary Vaynerchuk is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet, even if he swears and curses on stage and just says whatever crosses his mind. That wasn't always the case. He worked very hard for a very long time to have the permission to mm -hmm. be different and have this transformation is a result that people don't care about it anymore. You and I couldn't go out on stage and say the things that he says and just share our opinion bluntly about everything. So it takes time and effort and consistency to get that permission. Yeah, wow. So 
I want Love Wiley into that too. I, I, I think that's such a great example, right? Because you're right. Yeah. For the people who try and come across like Gary Vaynerchuk, it, it just, it smells really bad. But when it's him, it, it, it doesn't have as bad of a smell because I don't know, there's a sense of respect about his journey that like, it's like, whatever. So what is that transformation? That transformation is going to be different from the corporate employee leader to the founder or, you know, everyday life. Like what, what is that messy middle transformation process look like? You know, how does one know they need to go through it? And like, what are thoughtful steps you can take maybe in that tunnel before you come out Mm-hmm. reborn 10, 20 years later, you know, how is any in time frames around it? I know it's a loaded question, but you know, it's a, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, first of all, there is no cookie cutter solution and there is no one size fits all formula. Everybody has different goals, uh, operates in different environments. What I encourage you to do though, is when you, th- when you have that idea of starting the transformation, such a transformation, Very often we make this mistake, we only think about the next step ahead, right? Where do I want to go next? Let's Mm. take a corporate career. Uh, I'm now in that department and my next step is I want to become the head of that department. Mm. And then the next step is I want to become this and this and this and this. Same as a business owner, same for your brand. You always just think about the next step. What I encourage you to do though is go at the very end at the very, very end of this path and envision that there. Tell me what that is. Do you want to be the CEO of a company? Do you want to have the ability to walk on the biggest stages worldwide and curse and just share? What, what is the end goal? Mm. Because then you already have to start today to be perceived as that person and you will find people around you, you that help you through that transformation. Let's take a political example. Not None of the presidents, as of my knowledge, neither the United States nor any other country, has been identified as a potential president shortly before they ran for that office. That decision very often has been made 10, 20 years ago when somebody saw you and thought, you could be presidential material. What can we do to make this happen, right? And so if your goal is to become the president of the United States in 10 years, then you have to appear, behave, and communicate like a president already now. And what you're saying is it takes a lot of reflection and forethought and intentionality Mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. drive a perception aligned to who you want to become. Yeah. You can do that in a true form, but it needs to, it needs to be well thought through. It's funny when we got on zoom, I was like, just like, you look very polished and put together and nice. And you know, I was just like, obviously like, was I expecting that? Like probably. Um, but then it made me think about like, Oh, I'm wearing like a little turtleneck, like, or not a turtle, like a little long sleeve. Shirt. I'm like, wonder what I look like to her. And, you know, so it's interesting how the smallest things in person from dress or, you know, all the things can really drive perception. Yeah. I got to give it to you. It's so niche and it's, um, I think such important work that spans so many topics. Like it's just fascinating. I want to thank you for sharing. Um, for you, you know, when you look at your line of work and you look at what you've been doing, it's like clearly compounded. Where do you find the most like reflect, um, sorry, satisfaction, enjoy, and like reward mm-hmm. in your work? So when I speak to audiences and I speak with my clients about the potential of transformation in the room, I always group every audiences in three different parts. I say, look, we're going to have a conference together. One third of your audience isn't there because of me. They don't need my my help. Mm. They are already quite okay. They know what they're doing. They might take away a few tips and tricks, but I'm not going to transform them. They are already on a very good path. One third 
will have an aha moment. It will be eye-opening to them because mm-hmm. they never took the time to think that through. And I promise you, they are going to leave with such a push of self-confidence, self-awareness, and at least we're going to start the transformation. And it's going to be amazing. Mm. But one-third, I can't fix for you. They are there, and I think it's uh, superficial, or uh, they understand it but don't want to change, or chances are high they are the wrong people for the wrong job in your organization, and I cannot fix that. That's something you have to fix yourself. To answer your question, first of all, I love serving audiences, and I love coming for that middle group where I know they are there and I can see them and, you know, they they reach out to me afterwards and just there is such a connection between me and that one third knowing, I get it. I knew that you knew it somewhere out there it's happening, but you never took the time to sit down and explore yourself and explore the way you are perceived and what impact it had. And I'm so happy for you that you started today. The teacher shows up when the student is ready type of thing. And what you're saying is there's there's those students in the audience, they're ready. Yes. There's those students in the audience who I probably learned the material and, you know, it's it's nice reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And those students who just, it goes completely over the head and they don't have the care to like understand why it's important because they haven't had a reason to care. And so what's interesting is meeting the people in the middle who are ready to absorb and what a, what a powerful opportunity to make such momentous change in someone's life, whatever that journey ends up being for them. Yes. Yes. And I'm very, very grateful for that opportunity. This has been so stimulating and just, yeah, I, I, I'm excited about just all the work you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to be here with me, us, and um, where can people find you, reach out to you, work with you, all the things. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. I truly enjoyed the conversation with you. Uh, So excited that I have the opportunity to meet some of your guests and uh, audience members. You find everything you need on my website, which is sylvie.digital.com. It's not the easiest name to spell out, so I'm still hoping that you add a link for me, Brian. And if you already added that link, just add at the very end slash audit. So silverdichusto.com slash audit. And then you can go through that self-assessment and find out what the world thinks about you. Awesome. Well, I will ensure our team on the back end includes it on all the channels and all the places. So um, really appreciate that. And we will uh, make sure we share this with uh, great care. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, I hope you leave a review on the platform of your choice and share it with a friend who you think would find it valuable. If you'd like to receive our written newsletter and thought leadership, head on over to bwmissions.com backslash newsletter and subscribe. See you on the next show.